Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files Chiang Kai-shek was one of the most important figures of the 20th century and one of the longest-serving leaders. His life story is often paired with Mao Zedong, and for good reason. They were archenemies battling for supremacy of China, and their lives ran parallel. Chiang Kai-shek, CKS, was born in 1893, six years before Mao, and Chiang Kai-shek passed away in 1975, one year before Mao. John, um, what are some other leaders that Zhang might be compared to? Well, Sigmund Rhee, who served as the first president of South Korea from 1948 to 1960. He was a fellow anti-communist authoritarian and Cold War ally of the US and Asia. As with Jiang, he was a Christian and lived a long life from 1875 to 1965. But unlike CKS, he was not a soldier. Mm, not a generalissimo. Right. <laughs> Okay, so a generalissimo is, I'm looking at the dictionary here, the chief commander of an army, especially one who is also the ruler of the country. And with its exotic foreign sound and grandeur, it carries, uh, at least for me, certain connotations. It conjures up an image of a banana republic, of a leader covered in big shiny medals. <laughs> yes. When we think of uh, other leaders known as generalissimos, um, the first that would come to mind for many would be Francisco Franco. Franco was a Spanish general who led the nationalist forces in overthrowing the leftist Second Spanish Republic during the Spanish Civil War of 1936 to 1939, and after that ruled Spain as a dictator until his death in 1975. So these nationalists are not the same nationalists we have in Taiwan. These are the Spanish nationalists. Correct. Um, Franco and CKS, their, their relationship and that between Spain and Taiwan is really an untold one, but it makes sense to pair these two men. Yes, they were both leaders of one-party states. They both had white terrors, both Cold War champions of the global anti-communist movement. And despite Franco and Chiang Kai-shek both being anti-communist and enjoying a decades-long kind of, I don't know, bromance, they had a rocky relationship actually early on. And the problem was Japan. Japan had seized Manchuria, northeast China, in 1931, and then in 1937 Japan began a full-scale invasion of China. Italy signed an anti-communist pact with Germany and Japan. And Franco caused great offense to the Chinese by acknowledging Manchukuo and later the puppet government in Nanjing of Wang Jingwei. Right, so Franco was rooting for the other side, not China or the Republic of China. But Spain was neutral during the war, yeah? Right, neutral, not involved, but sympathetic to the Axis powers. Mm, which is understandable, not forgivable, but understandable, given the fact that Franco got tons of military assistance from Hitler, but especially Mussolini during the Spanish Civil War from 
1936 to 1939. So he's grateful, but a devastated Spain was recovering from the Spanish Civil War, and uh, Franco wanted to sit this new, bigger conflict out. Neutrality was the official wartime policy, but there was a lot of blowing with the wind. After the fall of France in June of 1940, neutrality gave way to non-belligerence. Non-belligerency. So that's when a state supports a side in a war, but is not directly involved in military operations. Franco actually offered to actively join the war, meeting with Hitler. But I don't think he got solid enough assurances about expanding the Spanish Empire in particular. Franco was uh, very interested in getting his hands on former French colonies. As the tide of war turned against the Axis powers, Spanish policy returned to strict neutrality. And after the war, Spain was something of an outcast. It was, for example, not allowed to join the newly created United Nations. In the immediate post-war years, Chiang Kai-shek and the Chinese nationalists did not want diplomatic relations with Franco's regime. Basically, they, they still felt sore about Spain's support for Japan. But the Cold War would unite Spain and the ROC, with the United States helping to bring them together. Yes, and it's worth noting that the U.S. signed a Treaty of Cooperation with Spain in 1953, and with the ROC the following year. The Sino-American Mutual Defense Treaty of 1954, but I don't know about the, uh, the ROC helping defend the Americans, do you? <laughs> Um, we'll the mutual try. defense. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. disgraced Axis supporter Spain, they get a chance now to be respectable thanks to the Cold War and the USA. And the nationalists, disgraced by defeat and retreat, so we're talking about the KMT nationalists, they get a second chance too. United by the common cause of this fight against global communism, they became, you know, sentinels of the West and the East. Sentinels, watchmen standing guard and holding back the red tide. Mm. And in 1953, the ROC in Spain signed a treaty of friendship. This treaty led the way for various exchanges, visits mostly of the military, the political, diplomatic, academic, and cultural, and some economic activity. Military, political, diplomatic exchanges, there's some overlap there, but in short, it became common for leaders in Taiwan to travel to Spain and vice versa. Relatively high-ranking leaders too, starting with the Spanish Minister of Foreign Affairs coming to Taipei in 1953, and Chiang Kai-shek awarding him with the, the Medal for Military Merit. And there would be a lot of these visits back and forth, and a lot of these medals awarded. And However, the Generalissimos, Chiang Kai-shek and Francisco Franco, they actually never met in person. No, they didn't. I guess the closest was a 1965 visit uh, by Franco's only child, his daughter, and her husband. They came to Taiwan, where they met with uh, CKS. And the other way, Chiang Kai-shek's adopted son, Chiang Wei-guo, led a military delegation to Spain. Jiang Weiguo, fascinating story. This guy was born in 1916 to an important early KMT figure and a Japanese mother, and then adopted by Jiang Kai-shek as a second son after Jiang Jingguo. This Weiguo, uh, who led a delegation to Spain, was certainly no stranger to fascism. He'd undertaken military studies in Nazi Germany. There are some uh, striking photographs of him in German uniform. 
during the 1938 Nazi seizure, the Anschluss of Austria, he was with a, a panzer unit as a sergeant officer candidate. Yeah, he graduated from the military academy the following year. Yeah, the pictures are amazing. I'll try to post what I can online. But yes, to have this Chinese man in full Nazi uniform is, uh, whoa, yeah. He was set to be with the German forces invading Poland, but was recalled to assist in the war effort in China. But first, he got more training in the United States. Actually, he ended up teaching as well as studying there. Yeah, his recent experience of the German army would have been highly useful. Yeah. So although Chiang Kai-shek and Franco never met in person, they had a long-distance friendship of, of some warmth. On national holidays, they'd send each other telegrams, they'd send each other notes of congratulations for successes and best wishes for health, um, good luck on your next term and the term after that, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, they praised each other in public too. And there seems to have been genuine mutual respect. Here's an example of CKS turning on the charm during a ceremony welcoming a new Spanish ambassador. So, quote, We, the two nations, have a long and glorious history. Now we can also proudly say that we are the two countries that make Asia and Europe, respectively, the two firmest and most advanced strongholds of this heroic fight against communism. Despite the physical distance, our common goals in defense of human freedom and world peace have united our countries in a permanent and solid bond. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Among the Spanish who visited Taiwan was politician and general Augustin Munoz Grandes. He had been a commander of the Blue Division. The Blue Division consisted of Spanish volunteers, about 50,000 approximately, incorporated into the German army. Right, volunteers from Spain. So you might think they'd get a posting in the Mediterranean area, maybe to some Greek island, I don't know, Crete. Or if the Italians maybe have that covered, uh, a posting across the Straits of Gibraltar in North Africa. But no, Franco had stipulated that these troops that he's basically giving to Nazi Germany only fight against the Soviet Union and not take part in battles against the Western Allies. So they fought as part of the German army on the Eastern Front. Anyway, yeah. this commander of that force, he received two decorations from the ROC. I think... On his second trip, 1960, to Taiwan, he got an award called the Great Cross of the Precious Tripod, also known as the Great Cross of the Sacred Tripod. <laughs> it sounds like something Monty Python would have written. <laughs> the Great Cross of the Sacred Tripod, yeah. A lot of those medals have some strange names. Speaking of sacred objects, uh, Grandis and others in the delegation visited the island fortress of Jinmen and they brought some special presents for the nationalist defenders, relics related to the siege of Alcazar of Toledo. That siege was from the early days of the Spanish Civil War and of special importance. Okay, relics. Um, what immediately comes to mind are religious relics, a Buddha's tooth, a, a piece of clothing worn by a saint, you know, a, a splinter from the true cross, but relics from a siege? There were stones from the Alcathar, uh, a fortified palace, uh, a helmet, uh, it was a gun, a hand grenade. These were displayed in a cabinet at Mount Taiwu on Jinmen Island, and the Spanish brought accompanying stone plaques inscribed upon them in three languages, English, Chinese, and Spanish. The words were, to the brave ones 
of the Alcazar of Toledo to the heroes of Jinmen. In return, an ROC military mission to Spain the following year, that would be 1961, they took a commemorative plaque which read in Spanish and Chinese, quote, To the anti-communist heroes of Aqzal de Toledo, fight for anti-communism. Offered by the officials and soldiers of Jinmen and Mazu of the Republic of China, October of the 50th year of the Republic of China. And all this excellent detail we have comes from a paper by a Spanish academic, Miguel Angel del Rio Morillas. Sorry about the pronunciation. Uh, his paper is called Spain and the Republic of China, the Sentinels of the West and the East, 1953 to 1973. By the way, some of these Sino-Spanish military uh, delegations were to set up specialized military courses, but I don't know any details about the training. Mm. For Spanish visitors to Taiwan, the frontline island fortress of Jinmen was a must-see. And what else? I guess places showcasing the KMT's safekeeping of Chinese culture, so that would include the National Palace Museum in Taipei, mm -hmm. that opened in 1965. And they would have visited places with a historical connection, so visits to some of those old strongholds of the Spanish back in the 1600s. There was a Spanish presence in northern Taiwan from 1626 to 1642, part of a counteroffensive against the Dutch who were trying to disrupt Spanish regional trade. The Spanish were most notably at Geelong and Danshe, and the most visible legacy is the Fort of San Domingo in Danshe. Behind that fort sits a magnificent golf course, so who knows, maybe they had a round of golf as well. Yeah, you know that Fort San Domingo, it's uh, a legacy of Spain's brief colonization, but it's misnamed. On Google Maps, yeah, it's labeled Fort San Domingo, a historic Spanish fort, and on the ground, the signage there is also Fort San Domingo. Ah, in Chinese, they use the name Hong Mountain, or Red Hair Fort which means the Dutch and is mm. therefore more accurate because it's a Dutch fort, not Spanish. Danshui was not as important as Geelong for the Spanish, and they arrived later, uh, occupying the spot on August 8th, 1628, the feast day of St. Dominic, also known as St. Domingo. The fort the Spanish built was not what is seen today. It was a small wooden fort, reflecting a half-hearted Spanish effort. I think it was finished in 1629, and it was abandoned in 1636 or a little later, partly dismantled as the Spanish reduced their footprint in the area. Geelong would hold out for another five years, which is when the Dutch arrived. The Dutch built a new stone fort in Danshui. They called it Fort Antonio, uh, named after Anthony Van Diemen, who was the governor general of the Dutch East Indies. Okay, so not as Spanish as assumed, the name Fort San Domingo from St. Domingo. We also get the name uh, Dominicans, right? A Catholic order, which he founded. And if you're looking for Spanish history near Kaohsiung, there's a few good choices. Dominicans were the first missionaries to enter Taiwan in the treaty port days. There was an amazing Spanish Dominican priest called Father Sainz, who arrived in Kaohsiung in 1859 and just two years later built the first church in the city, what's now the Holy Rosary Cathedral. An amazing man. As an aside, in the run-up to Japan's war in the Pacific following Pearl Harbor, uh, whereas 
other foreign missionaries left Taiwan, members of the Spanish Dominican mission managed to hold on throughout the war years because of Spain's support for the Axis powers. So, John, this Cold War relationship between Spain and the ROC was more than just conferring praise and medals with flowery names upon each other's leaders and offering encouragement to Jayo Jayo. <laughs> yes, some educational component, learning from each other. Oh, so like, uh, hey, you're running a one-party far-right regime, and so am I. Uh, let's compare notes. Yeah, yeah. There were exchanges between Spain and Taiwan, uh, trips for leaders of youth organizations, comparing notes on shaping the youth, uh, mm. scouting and cultural activities and political, military indoctrination. In the 1950s, Taiwan was, you know, still hopelessly poor and agricultural. So it looked at Spain with a degree of admiration. Spain's national policies of industrialization and mechanization of agriculture seemed like something worth investigating and perhaps emulating. The KMT were also interested in Franco's policies for social welfare, keeping labor under control, but also providing housing for laborers, medical insurance for workers, schooling for uh, laborers' kids. I'm not sure how well it reflected reality, but to the KMT, it looked good from, uh, from a distance, at least. But it wouldn't take long before it was the Spanish admiring Taiwanese development, the land reform and development of agriculture, and the increasing modernity of Taipei City. Mm -hmm. There were political, military, diplomatic exchanges, and academic and cultural ones too, and economic links. There was, uh, for example, speaking of economic ones, a commercial agreement between Spain and the ROC in 1956, and this made the exchange of goods easier and regulated methods of payments between the two countries. Now, that doesn't sound like much in the free trade era we live in today, but back then, there were tight rules on imports and foreign currency transactions. Mm -hmm. As a bibliophile, that is a, a book lover, I should mention a cultural agreement signed in 1957, which required that certain books from each country be translated. Okay, so what ROC books did the Spanish people get privileged enough to read in their own language? I'll just give you one. Soviet Russia in China by CKS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> so this cultural agreement, though, it was more about than just translations, yeah. Yeah, it involved the exchange of students and academic and technical experts universities uh, running courses on the other's culture, so Chinese studies in Madrid and Hispanic studies in Taipei, and they recognized each other's certificates. Franco, in 1949, had actually granted some Chinese students scholarships to study in Spain, and this continued in later years. We can't forget that Christianity, of course, was a factor in these closer relations, with many of the recipients being Chinese priests and student priests, you know, at the seminary. And because of these Sino-Spanish academic exchanges, in the early 1960s, Taiwan got its first Spanish university language departments in universities. So we have one at uh, Danjiang University in Danshui, and Furen, the notable Catholic university that followed the exodus from Peking to Taipei. Other cultural activities included the media. There were journalistic exchanges between Spanish and Chinese press. 
the national press agencies in Formosa in Spain, they shared news and photographs. When you say journalistic exchanges, you're not talking about correspondence based in either country filing investigative pieces, but more like the head honchos making visits. I don't know for sure, but my understanding, yes, uh, directors, head journalists making trips. In terms of ROC citizens being resident in Spain at any one time, the numbers of Taiwanese always pretty low. In fact, the numbers of ethnic Chinese of any kind from China, Hong Kong, Southeast Asia, very small in Spain. Hmm. Uh, any idea of like how small? For a good demonstration of just how few Chinese there were in Spain in those days, uh, we can turn to the filming of a Hollywood epic, a movie starring Charlton Heston. It's called 55 Days at Peking, filmed in Spain in 1962. Filmed in Spain, but that title, 55 Days at Peking, it's a Chinese setting, and many people will know it's about the Boxer Rebellion, in particular the siege in the summer of 1900 of the foreign legation compounds. Yes, so they needed a lot of Chinese extras, about 1,500, to play the city residents, the boxer rebels. But there were probably about just 300 Chinese in total in Spain. And uh, I'm not sure how many uh, from Taiwan uh, ended up in the film. To get those extras, they had to send scouts all over Europe, uh, particularly to the big cities, recruiting Chinese. Well, any East Asians would do. I don't know if it's true, but I've read that many Chinese restaurants in Europe closed over the summer of 1962 because the restaurant staff were recruited by the movie makers. Very interesting. Taiwanese in Spain and Spanish in Taiwan. Never big numbers of visitors or residents, but a strong, warm relationship. That warm relationship was best exemplified by Julio de Laura Cochea. He was ambassador in Taipei. In the three decades of close Spanish and Taiwanese relationship, he was one of the most important figures, ambassador here from 1959 to 1971. So he played a, an active part in the uh, Republic of China's official celebrations. So this Spanish ambassador was something of like a, a go-to guy for the Taiwanese press. If they needed some pro-CKS, pro-ROC lines, some enthusiastic support for the retake the mainland dream, well, the Spanish ambassador would happily provide the quotes. La Chori. I, how do you say his name, John? I think it's Lara Coachea. Okay, we'll go with that. His tenure as ambassador came to an end in 1971, which was a very troubling period for the Republic of China. The PRC replaced the ROC at the United Nations. A good time to be leaving as ambassador. Despite the troubled waters, he was given a heartfelt farewell by politicians and the press here. He was even awarded a key to the city of Taipei by the mayor. Oh, that would have been Henry Gao, uh, another very interesting character we should talk about sometime. Anyway, the bromance of these two generalissimos was about to end. As we move into the early 1970s, with the United Nations recognizing the PRC as the only legitimate government of all Chinese territory in a General Assembly resolution on the 25th of October 1971, so Franco's Spain, which had been allowed to join the UN around 1955-56, Spain got to join the UN then with the ROC's support. And this time around, Spain uh, abstained from voting when it came time to uh, get the ROC out of the UN. 
yeah, they, they weren't breaking their back to uh, to help right, out right. their old buddy, were they? Uh, then on March 9th, 1973, the news broke that Spain had established diplomatic relations with China, the end of the franco Chiang Kai-shek Brotherhood. But both the Generalissimos were coming to the end of all ends. Chiang Kai-shek passed away on April 5th, 1975, and Franco in November of that year. Chiang Kai-shek's son, so Zhang Jingguo, wrote in his diary regarding Franco's death, quote, Franco died late last month. He bases his career on opposition to communism and called himself an anti-communist leader. Yet he subsequently failed to resist the averse current and betrayed us and recognized communist China. It's hard to keep one's faith and adhere to one's principles in politics. There is a saying, a person's behavior in his old age shows his true character. There is a great deal of truth in this. End quote. No need to be taking moral guidance from the bloodstained hands of Zhang Jingguo, but yeah, those words show that the feelings of betrayal, of anger, as the ROC became increasingly isolated. Yeah. Well, it's time to wrap things up. We've had a somewhat uh, maybe humorous look at this relationship. And there may be some of those who say, you know, you can't joke about repressive regimes. They're not funny. Well, John and I sort of disagree. Such regimes are self-important, overly serious, and humor is a pretty good weapon against fascism. Agreed, Eric. But I'd also like to, uh, further down the line, do an in-depth, multi-part series on Chiang Kai-shek. Yes. So a big gracias to all of our Formosa Files amigos and amigas for listening. Um, we apologize for butchering all of our Spanish pronunciations, but it's time to say hasta la vista. Adios.